I'm the Eminem of podcasts. You're the Eminem with helmet strap tan. Hey there, folks. Welcome on back. I am your host. I am Ted King. And as always, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. It's July. It's tour time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's World Cup soccer time, too, if that's your thing. I did catch 23 mildly riveting minutes of Belgium's win over Brazil just this past weekend. I know come the World Cup final, I'll watch some of that too. But quite frankly, all of my sports viewing this month comes straight back to the tour. It's only three stages in, but holy moly, I think it's really off to a great start. Um, I don't want to get too cocky with my predictions. I'm very pleased to have called two-thirds of the opening podium going with Gaviria and Sagan, one and two. Sure, those are two folks that you could probably pick on any sprint stage and, and come away with some accuracy. But pleased with that. Um, I'm also predicting that that Marcel Kittle comes up with some more results. He... Of course, DNF last year in the green jersey. He has a lot to prove both to himself and to the Katusha team. Uh, another one, Alexander Kristoff, I think, you know, he's been up there. He's been in the top five. He's been duking it out, not with, with a great lead-out train. So I think we're going to see more of his veteran prowess kicking it into gear as the weeks go on. And that being said, of course, today was the TTT. General classification took center stage. Time trials team time trials are so chock-a-block it's it's nutty i i did pick bmc for the win pleased with that sky i also put on the podium um of course those are two very safe bets much like on the sprint side but i think it's going to be making for a great race i did pick movie star that was my my loss for the day um i know as the three weeks go on we're going to see a lot from that team quintana is especially my pick from the movie star team although i don't think we're going to see him on the final podium tbd holy cow it's off to a great start another really impressive ride i want to tip my hat to ef cannondale they came up just 35 seconds back from bmc today they slotted into sixth that's a huge result for the entire team i think they're something of a dark horse that probably not a lot of people picked it really bodes well for Rigo and and on a very personal note, best yet, Lawson Craddock's ride was outstanding. So, a quick aside, if I may. It was five years ago. It was stage one of the 2013 tour. I went down in a crash somewhere north of 30 miles an hour on a, in a pileup. We were about 10 kilometers from the finish as the road narrows getting ready for the final sprint. I remember... If I can walk you through it. I remember getting up. You do that quick roadside self-assessment. I knew I was a bit battered. I was not concussed. My teeth were intact. I knew I'd smacked my shoulder, but but I sort of anticipated soft pedaling to the finish and, and reassessing there. So I'm standing on the side of the road and my bike is being tended to by the mechanic. The race doctor came over and he he lifted my arm. And I remember seeing the most horribly white, distinct flash. And, and that was literally the shock of pain going through my shoulder and, and straight to my eyes. I've broken plenty of bones in my day. Um, that, that was one of the most painful experiences. But of course, that's also my first tour. So I knew if there's a will, there's a way. I soldiered through that stage, got to the finish. I did some initial assessments with the medical team. Um, I'd separated shoulders in, in various accidents, playing hockey and skiing as a kid. So I knew the feeling of a separated shoulder. I, I lost a whole boatload of skin, but I didn't actually want to get more scans knowing that a, a bad diagnosis would be sending me home. So suffice it to say that that is not how I saw my first tour unfolding. 
And so let's fast forward a handful of days from there. I made it safely home to New England after being unceremoniously asked to leave by the tour race officials. After it was discovered that I had finished seven seconds out of time cut, I finished seven seconds out of time cut with a broken scapula, which is something I discovered upon landing in New England and having the proper scans and x-rays and MRIs to discover that I had thrashed my shoulder. So Lawson took on stage three team time trial today, just as I took on stage four team time trial in Nice. Lawson, you are a freaking champ. You're fighting the good fight. Keep on doing it. You got a, all of America behind you and and great portion of the world cheering you on. Keep it up, dude. It's awesome to watch. It's really, it's hard to put to words just how intense the team time trial is. It it looks so poetic from above. You look at the aerial view and it's it's simple. When it's done well, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Well, you really need to remember that it's it's violent. It's abrupt. It's It's literally sprinting out of every corner or sprinting back into position after you've done your turn when you're already chock full of lactic acid. It is a brutal event. I think a great example of just how tough it is is look at one of the most crafty and purely powerful riders on the planet. Peter Sagan was dropped today. Obviously, his goal is not to take yellow for the next two and a half weeks and take it into Paris. But every day in the jersey is noteworthy, especially for a guy like him who really does pride himself on the on the awards he takes home. I mean, he has a mini museum going on in Slovakia. So this morning he would have loved to, he knew that he would love to keep that jersey for a few more days. And especially seeing how tomorrow on paper is perfectly fit for him. It's it's a total surprise to me to see him drop today. But as a former teammate, I do know what he's capable of. He is powerful over three weeks. So especially as a fan, I am hopeful that we see him back in his fighting ways tomorrow. The tour is off to an awesome start. It is going to be a great month of July. I hope you are equally excited. Now, for the past three years, I've started off my month of July with a tour across New England, creatively and aptly titled Tour X New England. So the genesis of this ride, um, it starts with our guest today, Tim Johnson. The two of us rode the entire length of the state of Vermont, 200 miles from Canada to Massachusetts, entirely on one road, The name of the ride is the 200 on 100, 200 miles on Route 100. It's a ride that lives in New England cycling lore. And so with that concept in our back pockets, an acquaintance acquaintance at the time, a very good friend now, Bruce Reichlich, he reached out and he said he wanted to do basically the same thing. But rather than a one-day mega epic ride, he wanted to do a multi-day mega epic ride all across New England. And this concept, I think, really speaks to something that we've talked about in past podcasts. And that is... You can really surprise yourself and find spectacular routes and roads and rides right in your backyard. You just have to go out and look for them. Additionally, in our, just like our various editions, iterations of the 200 on 100, there are the through hikers, as I call them. There's the folks who are, who are on it for the long haul. But then we also extend invitations to people who want to join for a day or a couple days or a morning or just a few hours. Tim Johnson was the perfect addition to that. He was he had to jet off to the BC bike race, so he really could only join for a day. But Tim Hales from just south of the border where I grew up and from where the ride started, and he was the perfect addition to day one as he got to talk about Gloucester and the North Shore and all the areas that are very important to him. He is a wonderful addition. So a quick intro on Tim. As I get into it in the conversation, he has been something of a mentor to me. He is a friend. He is a co-member of the ignanimous group, the 
North Shore Tear'em Up Golf League, which is mostly a group of New England cycling pros who gather every two or three years to lose golf balls and crash golf carts. Occasionally we hit them. Uh, no, truthfully, Tim was an incredibly talented road racer. He's inspirational to me in that he's been very foresightful and, of course, talented enough to be the first ever U.S.-based exclusive cyclocross racer, which I think we see as commonplace now, but even a half dozen years ago, that was completely new. Tim is an ambassador in the the perfect and best sense of the word. He's an ambassador for cycling, for cycling safety, and for accessibility. I have a blast throughout this conversation, and I think in our very limited time, you will see that we have about six more potential podcasts on the docket. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. One quick final note. The perks of podcasting on the road, a la Tour X, is that our mobile recording studio is quite frankly, anywhere where we can find a space. So we set up shop in a patio just adjacent to the parking lot of our hotel. We get a little bit astray when we're (laughs) amid our conversation, when we see the concierge of our hotel, not just run, but he's literally sprinting across the parking lot. So as much as I want to delete it, it's actually mildly related to the conversation. We leave it in there. Hopefully it paints a picture amid our conversation. This has been a very lengthy intro. Laura and I made it to Vermont. I'm very pleased to report that. So much cool stuff on the horizon. Ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Tim Johnson. Do you realize that your chin is way too long for this? What do you mean? Like if you were a normal person and you put it on your chin, it would be fine. But your chin is so far away, you can't hear yourself. I got, I got, got lip contact. What if you go like that? Well, like you're yeah. like a rapper. Yeah, then you're Eminem when he started. I'm before also he white. knew how to hold his mic. I'm the Eminem of podcasts. You're the Eminem with helmet strap tan. And right there, those that that's, tan is the worst. I don't know if that's the forehead. Tan. That's like a pressure tan. Okay. Well, without further ado, having just been insulted <laughs> about my helmet tan and being the Eminem of podcasts, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have the one and only Tim, Timothy Johnson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to King of the Ride podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited. Excellent. So <laughs> tell me where we are right now. I want you to set the yeah, scene. Yeah, so... Um, we're feeling a little bit blasted by today's ride. Uh-huh. It was hot New England summer day. Uh-huh. And we're in a parking lot of a hotel uh-huh. next to a Welch's office. Probably some kind of uh, dental or biotech manufacturing and within sight of the prison in Concord, Massachusetts. You see the Emerson Health Center, which is funny because at the tail end of the ride, we rode 115-ish miles. Yeah. From Kittery, Maine, straight through New Hampshire, beautiful seacoast into Massachusetts, down to Gloucester. And at the very tail end, we were really trying to put a bow on a beautiful ride by going to Walden Pond. It would have been awesome, wouldn't it? And then there was a closed sign and now we're in a municipal. (laughs) So instead of dipping, dipping into like what is almost holy water in New England, Uh we ended up taking a shower at a Marriott. What What a way to cap off the day. But like you were just saying, like it was a, it was a day that would have been really fun if it was a little bit nicer, mm-hmm. but it was still in a, a day that we spent all of it on a bike. 14 intrepid souls set out today <laughs> on the it's first day. Not of quite that dramatic. Tour X New England 
tour across New England. Uh, very special guest, Tim Johnson. This is his second appearance on Tour X New England. The first one, I think, did you ride with us or just eat pizza? No, I literally beer? was driving to Massachusetts from Quebec and I met you at Parker Pie yes. in Vermont and had a beer and then drove home. We prioritize delicious foods and uh, beverages. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that Pliny to get cold so we can drink it later. It's sitting in my room, gaining room temperature. Okay, let's not um, have that happen anymore. So a decent amount of this ride, I think, stems off the 200 on 100, which was a very exciting ride that you and I once did. Um, a few times, but yes. We've done a couple times. It inspires, inspires a lot of people, I think, that we didn't realize was going to happen, nor did we anticipate. But um, yeah, like I, I think that the way that this ride is set up is is great because it it for anyone to be able to do a one way ride, you know, point to point ride is special. Like you're not clicking in before six a.m. because you need to fit your ride in before work. You're not getting out when you get out of work before you need to go do something else. To be able to go from point to point is truly something special. So what what Bruce is doing here is is pretty cool. And therefore setting the scene a bit more, which presumably I'll do or have done, and you've already heard at this point because I've done it in the intro, Tour X New England. Ah, oh shoot. I'll just lay it out right here. It started, this is now year three. The first edition, we went clear across New England, started in Bar Harbor, Maine, which is quite frankly, if you get to Portland, Maine, you're pretty far up there, but to get to Bar Harbor, it's like another four-hour drive. And then at that point, you're only mid-coast Maine. Maine is freaking enormous. So we rode Bar Harbor down the coast, ended up in Portland. It was lovely. We went sort of northwest, hit uh, the infamous Hurricane Mountain Road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of our faves. Where Untapped was born. Indeed. Ah, indeed. <laughs> and then went, went clear across the Kangamangas and into Vermont. That was year one. The second year is similar to this one in that we went, our, uh, last year we went uh, a Massachusetts route south and then up into Vermont. And, and this year we're going Kittery through New Hampshire into Massachusetts. Tomorrow we're going to do the uh, uh, Fitchburg Longs Joe Classic Road Course with a little bit of bonus, which is coming up in a Fondo that you have on tap, which I'd love to talk about. But let me finish this by saying then ultimately we're going to do another huge round in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. Yep. Which is special because Vermont is a place that I'm ending up um, having moved clear across the country. Right. Through no shortage of convenient convincing from you towards my wife. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> You're just, helping I'm just tremendously. Doing my best. <laughs> No, it's amazing. You're like, well, you could end up in so-and-so town, but then you can just be another one of those people. But <laughs> it takes a little bit of character and a little bit of je ne sais quoi. Well, at, at least you've got airports and you can go wherever you need to go whenever you need to go there. But Vermont, is, Vermont really is a special place. Yeah. Yes. Vermont is, is a very special place. Um, so, okay. The 200 on 100... I don't know whose idea it was. I have a feeling it was yours. Where did you first hear about this crazy ride? North to south, for the entire length of Vermont from the Canadian to Massachusetts border, 200 miles on Route 100. The first time I ever heard about it was hearing about Boston, Montreal, Boston, which is like a crazy long distance race where people would literally go from those cities as fast as they could. Boston to Montreal, back to Boston? Yeah. It That's was a insanity. famous US-based brevet. 
Okay. And so that that's very long. But one of the training rides that people would do, it would be the 200 on 100 uh-huh. to go the length of Vermont. And then I never, I never heard about it until we started talking about it, whatever that summer day was really. Um, I, I don't know. Were if you still, you were finished road racing at that point, correct? I was racing cross full time. Yeah. Which is so another I wasn't thing I definitely road. want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, you were exclusively racing cross. I was, I was coming back from injury that first year. I'd you had a broken a, collarbone. Yeah. And no better way to recover from a broken collarbone. And I don't know what time of year that was. Was it August? Was it that late? Yeah. Cause I broke a call. Uh, I broke my collarbone in Philly. I was racing with liquid gas. Oh broke yeah. It in Philly. Okay. Yeah. So that must've been like July or August. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Oh, magical. And I don't even know how it really started, but, um, somehow, somehow we ended up, well, so it came up today on the ride. So, um, Bruce's brother, Terry was asking about it uh-huh. and we rode like 200 mile, 207 miles uh-huh. in nine and a half hours. We were, so we were hauling for the first bit and Ryan was like dead weight, uh-huh. <laughs> the deadest like most appreciative, most appreciated weight ever because he had already done 200 miles a couple exactly. days before. He had, so that's the wonderful qualifier to this all. So our very good friend, Ryan Kelly, who is a non-professional cyclist. He is so a respectable Google two 200 at that point. on 100. Watch the 200 on 100 original video from 2011. 11. Yeah. He, at the last minute, we sent out a sort of comical invitation to say, Hey, can you join us for this ride? Because Everyone has the a friend year, like this. Everyone has prior? a friend who's uh, always game for everything. Oh, absolutely. Ryan was totally game. <laughs> the day prior, rather, he had done a charity ride where you're supposed to raise $500 and ride 50 miles or ride uh, raise $1,000 and ride 100 miles. And this is in the New Hampshire seacoast, which is Pancake Flats. So he's like, ah, screw it. I'm going to double down and do a 200-mile <laughs> ride and raise $2,000. Yeah. Hats off to him for doing that. Yeah. And then as a joke, we're like, hey, Ryan, you want to ride 200 more miles tomorrow? <laughs> so... Amazingly, he did, and he fell apart uh, catastrophically God. over the course of a very I feel comically... Like, I feel like I could see his mitochondria just giving up. Yeah. Like, the muscle functions were just failing. Uh-huh. He was just, like, leaking oil, like Physical crazy. Physical and mental. He just he deteriorates in the most spectacular fashion. Thank God we got the flat tire. Like, all of a sudden, he could, he could rest a little yeah. bit. At which point, I literally wore my dump truck full of awesome t-shirt yesterday. Oh, you did? Oh, it was special. I got I to gotta dig that out. It was a good one. Yeah, and was... we become a benevolent organization because we rode clear across Vermont and Hurricane Irene had recently happened and we we're like, we want to somehow give back and we, we got a really good bit of groundswell support yeah. from the ride. Yeah. We raised $3,000 for the, for the Vermont Food Bank. Yeah. Shoot, that was awesome. And the subsequent year uh, was soon after the, the wildfires fires out Colorado in Colorado. Springs. So we yeah. raised a whole bunch of money doing a really fun thing. Yeah. And now our friend Will Dugan is here today in similar vein, like riding a ridiculous distance and he's spearheading Project Super Training, Yeah, which is sort of like, how do we create uh, a benevolent organization from doing things that we really like to do? Well, it, it really bikes. just, it goes down to bikes being a catalyst for something else. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's always, that's always the thing that, that reminds me that people ride bikes no matter what. And they're always looking for reasons to ride. And if that reason is to try and do something better, try and do something to raise money, then they're going to push themselves farther and longer and over a bigger hill 
you know, a distance that they've never gone before. And, mm-hmm. and that really has been, it's been something great to be a part of, you know, that it's like, I, I feel like, um, for me that gave a lot of, uh, extra distance to a career that I didn't necessarily always know was going to continue, you know, like mm-hmm. it's well, a, you're, okay. <laughs> you, we've, there's so many places that I want to take everything that we've already talked about. <laughs> we could take them on a hundred different tangents. Let's talk about <laughs> the benefit of staying uh, doing a podcast out in the parking lot as you see all sorts of comedy, including our just observing a guy in a three-piece suit who's the manager at the hotel jogging across a hot parking lot. That is and a he's hot not sprint. He's he's still going, people. That's this a sprint. A solid run. He's gonna be sweating <laughs> his ass up. Where is he going? It's, by the way, we're in a heat wave. It's uh ninety-two degrees and humid. Oh, he's trying to catch a driver. Oh, he came so close. Scream, dude. Oh. I think he knows we're recording the podcast. He didn't want to yell. <laughs> Good work. His name is Zach. That was a great hustle. We're going to give him a round of applause. Okay. I I almost don't want to admit this. I remember where, well, I remember to a degree where I met you. Because I'd known who Tim Johnson was. If you're an up-and-coming cyclist, a handful of years younger than Tim Johnson, you know who <laughs> Tim Johnson is. So you know on the start line when Tim Johnson says to you, hey, Ted, you're from New England. And then I forget where the conversation went. But it was basically like linking the tie. Pittsburgh? I don't... It was either Altoona or... Uh, it might have been Fitchburg. No, because Fitchburg would have been Saturn. It was either Tuna or uh, uh, what's the one in Arkansas? Oh, uh, like Joe, Joe Martin, Martin or, or uh, the other one. Yeah. Yes. Like Tri-Peaks. Tri-Peaks, yeah. Oh, man. Good times. Well, it was definitely at one of those three or yeah. four races. Oh, no, it was. Which? It was Arkansas, for sure. Okay. Well, great to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, you were racing with? Good run, Zach. Zach, that was very impressive. I know you even you got you got there. You got to yell, man. Oh no. <laughs> oh god. What are those things? Key fobs. Key fob. So one time my mom dropped me off at the airport in Boston oh. and I I got into the check-in counter. Mm-hmm. I check in and I feel in my pocket as I go into security that I've got something in there and Uh-oh. I feel the key fob. Trouble. I run back to the check-in counter. Oh, I call my mom, of course. Her phone's off, as moms do. Mm-hmm. Cell phone's off, sitting next to them in the car. And uh, I can't get a hold of her. So I go back to the checking counter, and I ask them, hey, if if I could leave my key here and have someone pick it up later. And they refused to hold this key. Well, I ended up calling Chandler. It could be an explosive device. And I said, hey, Chandler, are you coming into Boston today? Because I need I need to ask you a favor. Yeah. I ended up leaving this key fob in a manila envelope at the United checking counter for Chandler to pick up after he got back from a meeting to bring back to top sealed. And I was just hoping that my mom wasn't going to like randomly stop for gas and shut the car off and not be able to turn it back on again. Luckily she calls me and leaves a message. Hey, um, I got your voicemail. What are you, what were you talking about? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh I, I didn't have my phone on, on the way back from the airport. Can I, can I problem solve? I don't know if I can trump it, but I can meet that 
story, which is I got out of the car. My mom also dropped me off at the airport. Great work, Logan. Yeah, thank you, moms. Thank you, moms, everywhere. Dropped off at Boston's Logan Airport. Uh, get in. You know, you do the traditional feel your pockets. There's my wallet. The, nope, I don't have my cell phone. So kindly ask the gentleman next to me to borrow his phone to call my mom. Of course, similar. She doesn't have a phone on. <laughs> so then I call my my own cell phone, which she answers. <laughs> which I'm sure, you know, she's driving on 95 or whatever, being like, why is it? What is Should that I noise? Answer this? I can't, it's what Teddy's the, phone. I can't answer it. <laughs> and she came back and dropped my phone off. Thanks, mom. Oh, that's nice. Okay. So there we are in Arkansas. Who do you suppose you were racing for? Uh, that must have been HealthNet, maybe. Or Probably HealthNet, because even Jittery Joe's. Prior like to that was Jittery Joe's. Is 05? that right? Man, what I'm really fascinated by, and I and I want to explore is, you were correct me if I'm wrong, either the first or one of the first to race cyclocross exclusively. Is that correct? The first. The yes. first. Well, sort of. Like Jonathan Page did it, but he was in. He was in Europe mostly. I was yep. the first like U.S. based cross yes. racer, yeah. which was quite revolutionary, if I'm not mistaken, because you basically have to set up your own program. Yeah, and not only that, but you have to. I mean, the cross season is relatively short, so you have to occupy yourself for a, for a greater portion of the year, which sort of has has segued into what. Correct me if I'm wrong. A large portion of what you do now. Yeah, and so, quite frankly, set the stage for. What I do now. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Aw. Well, you're welcome. Uh, I I was I was a road racer. Mm -hmm. I was a mountain bike originally. Mm -hmm. I did cyclocross as an additional thing, and then I really wanted to be a road racer. Like that was that was what I wanted to do, and so I was like, Velenu's amateur road racer of the year. Like I wow. won Mount Washington. I I was trying to be a road racer when I turned pro with Saturn. And then on Saturn, I was like teammate top 10 in all the U S stage races as a roadie and in, in the heyday of Saturn, early two thousands. Like that was a hitter. Oh, one, oh, two, oh, three. Yep. Yeah. And then I was like pursuing my dream of being a road racer. I, I got the contracts that I, I got the contract that I dreamt of, but it turns out that I should have been dreading which was to go to Spain in 2004 ah. with Sonny Duvall. Like I canceled the contract that I had with Cole Vita, which would have been the right move to make. Uh -huh. um, but you, but I was like, cool, I get to go that. to Europe and I'm right. going to be in the, in the pro tour. Like that was the thing. And so I decided a two year deal to go to the pro tour to race with Sonny Teammates Duvall. with, is this a David Miller era? No, no. The year before Miller. Uh, so like Leonardo Peepoli. What about Rico? He was not there yet. He was, he it was, was it was clean. an all-star team of D bags. <laughs> and okay. so as I joined the team, I'm like, wow, this kind of sucks. Like I was racing road in the summer. I had basically given up on like a full cross season, but I was still doing enough that I really enjoyed it. You were, you were ra racing double seasons in one year. So 2002 uh -huh. in February. Oh, two, I did the cross world championships where I got 13th in uh -huh. the elites in wow. October, 2002, wow. I did elite road worlds, which were where Zolder, Belgium, same town, same hotel, same everything. 
Same Apologies. <laughs> I've had half of a beer preceded by another beer. What what was that timeline again? February 02, I raced Cross Worlds in uh-huh. Zolder. Uh-huh. October 02. Wow. I raced Road Worlds. Oh, that's hilarious. Same year. And where did you race that road season? Saturn. Okay. Noted. And then I did Elite Road Worlds the next year. In? Hamilton, Canada. Oh, Quebec so, like, or no, Hamilton. It was Ontario? Ontario, yeah. I was in college then. I nearly went there. <laughs> I didn't. I think yeah. the weather was crap, wasn't it? Uh, for us, it was really nice. But I did crash for a slap. It was awesome. What did you do that for? Uh, actually, I was like fifth place going down the, the super fast ascent. It was kind of wet. The leaves around. And some Italian guy right at the front started to crash. He was like starting to slide out. And I saw it happening. And I'm just like, oh, shit. And it took forever to go down. But we were doing... 35 miles an hour. I slid forever. Yeah. Got up. My entire side is totally gone. Then I got up and I made it like 225 K before I finally died. But so then the next day we flew to Australia for the sun tour and that's when I won the sun tour. So like with Saturn with Saturn. Goodness gracious. How many years with Saturn? Three. Saturn to Sonia Duval for one year. So which, yeah, exactly. To your contract, did I, one year. Yeah, so I sat at the at the ferry building in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and called the team owner and said, "I'm not coming back, and uh, I'm out." In tears, basically. I, I so you're at quit. the end of that first year. Yeah, yeah. This is like September. Is Labor Day, September? Like you murdered my soul. <laughs> uh, 2004. Yeah, yep. I, I'm dead. Forget it. I hate you. Fuck you. I'm out. And then. And then Jerry Joe's is like a lifeline. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden we're, we're riding around in a, in a van. Yep. So pro tour to a van. And then it was awesome. I was totally reminded of like why I love bike riding bikes. And I got to go back to cyclocross, which I hadn't done in two, two falls. And, uh, and then I got a job with HealthNet, and then I worked with the people at Cannondale and then I got a Cannondale deal for cyclocross. And then three more years later, is when I decided, you know what? One paycheck from one road team is not the thing that I want to call a career. And so I split off and then was able to build the cross contracts um, in a way that I, I was making far more, hmm. far more than I was on the road. Revolutionary. Yeah. Which is super cool. And then you <laughs> see, yeah, you were revolutionary to do that in the beginning and you see more and more of, please pardon this, Prius <laughs> running over its fender. Ah, the perks of doing a podcast here. Mm-hmm. Um, you see more and more people branching off and doing their own thing. And, 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 you know, whether it's mountain bike or cyclocross, like doing it exclusively and sort of dabbling in. So like road. So for Todd fitness. Wells did road yep. and mountain bike. Yep. And he did both fairly high level. Like his road level wasn't as high as his mountain bike. He was obviously, he had already been to sure. the Olympics. He was, he was national champion multiple times in mountain biking. And he did road in addition to that. Yep. And so he was really someone who had done a combination of two, uh, but he, he stuck with both. And he's got a similar story in that he went to Europe and didn't enjoy it as well because he realized that according to everyone it, is on drugs. Everyone's on drugs and and no one cares if you got umpteenth place in so and so check town. Yeah, you become they want to know 
they want to know what race, how you finish in, in Leadville and they yeah. want to know how you finished at so-and-so and they yeah. want to go jam with you. And it's like, it, it started this lifestyle side of cycling. Like it's something that's tangible. It's something Hashtag we rode lifestyle lifestyle with a, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of whys in there. I Mark say that I say that thinking about Mark Weir when I say that because oh my gosh hashtag is, lifestyle is like his, the the worst possible thing they could ever hear. But Mark, yeah, Mark I mean, is the lifestyle that that um, the ability to to look at you know being one of fifteen on a road team or one of two on a cross team, your profile, your ability to to leverage your exposure towards income based around what, what companies support you and how you work with them. That really was a, a decision that, that I was lucky enough to kind of see as a possibility because mm -hmm. I remember, I remember being told not to go to cross races. I remember By your paying, road team. Yeah. Like with Saturn, we had to pay to go to races on our own. Like with Saturn, we would race the cross season on our own dime wearing Saturn clothing. I won nationals in 2000, my first year as an elite. And the owner of Saturn, Tom Schuler, was awesome. He's like, he's like, oh my God. He's like, you're on the cover of Vela News for winning nationals. He's like, here's a bonus. I'm going to send you a check. You haven't even gotten your first paycheck for the road team. Huh. I'm sending you a bonus for winning nationals. But he didn't pay expenses. Like it was, it was a passion direction for us for the McCormick's for Jonathan page. Like that's, we did it cause it was really fun. Wow. You know, for all the right reasons. So in a similar way, like you also see the benevolent side of cycling. So you do, you initially were working with what it was called people for bikes. Bikes belong. Well, yeah, I mean that, so that <laughs> fast forwards quite a bit. So that would be the first ride on Washington in 2011. I like to fast forward and, and I'll Tarantino it and go back. One of one of the people that was a, a big influence in my career is Richard Fries. And I worked for Richard at a small regional cycling magazine in New England called The Ride Magazine Whoa. when I was 19. And and he was like, he was the guy that would go to a crit because he loved racing, but then he would also commute and be like, how can you possibly drive your car to work? Yeah. You're insane. And we need more bike paths. And this was like 1996. An amazing like husky voice. Yeah. I mean, but, but yet still sultry because he does amazing cycling commentary live in person. Yeah. But that's 20 years early from what we consider to be normal right now. Yep. I mean, he was truly like a, uh, the first person that I had ever heard of that would combine advocacy and racing. And so he always taught me that that was something that, that should be important because if we're out there training every single day, we should care about whether or not there are bike paths and, and whether or not, um, we represent cycling as a whole group or a small silo of it, or, you know, a small group. Um, so we started right on Washington, which was like, uh, a way for us to get to the national bike summit put on by the league of American bicyclists. And back then it was held in March and we decided, sure, let's ride from Boston to DC oh, in brilliant. March, early March. And it was cold. It was like 20 degrees. Yeah. You risk running, riding through blizzards that time of year. Basically. Yeah. Except we rode through the Bronx. Ah, perfect. <laughs> and that's almost Great cycling the same community. thing. It turns out but like to that, that was, point, that's the purpose of doing it is saying like, why do we not have advocacy and, and cycling access here the entire quarter? What? You started in Boston? Yep. Hit Boston, New York, well, Hartford, Hartford, New York, Philly, yep. Baltimore. Yep. 
this is when The Wire was being filmed. No kidding. Baltimore was insane. Yeah. But we met people and we talked to people. We met mayors and, and people who were involved in city government. And we were representing the type of cycling that we wanted to see more of, which was a holistic view of being on two wheels and not just being a racer and like F you, like you're a commuter, mm-hmm. like you wear uh, in an orange or a green vest with a helmet on your mirror and you're a douchebag. Like that's not, that's not how, <laughs> that's not uncommon. Like that's exactly how it was then. Mm-hmm. I remember working in a bike shop and be like, Oh, here's this weenie commuter guy coming in for a flat. Right. And the cool guy racer over there is like, okay, they're totally different people. They're totally different people in the, and, and yeah, weird guy racer wants the bro deal on the cheap or the, the lightweight tube, but like there is a much bigger audience, which is the people who are commuting. It's the families. It's the, Hey, we're going out on a a weekday beach tour. How do we give access to a larger audience than purely the people who are on at that point, 23 C tires and now wider and wire and more and more access. So my first great appreciation of ride on came a couple years later at uh, ride on Atlanta, which is kind of funny because it's similar to this in that it was a lot of point to point rides through magnificent places. And it really wasn't until the Atlanta day the final day they were like, <laughs> Oh gosh, there is no infrastructure here. This is awful. Yeah. Um, but you'd also bigger, better picture. You had done ride on Washington once three, or twice, three you did times. Chicago, twice. you did Atlanta. Atlanta. Um, and made enormous strides. I'm completely drawing a blank because I know that which, who are we championing? People for people for bikes. Okay. Was the organization that we were raising money for, but also bike Amazing advocacy was, was the point. So yes. like connecting the, the racing crowd with the advocacy crowd at any particular point was the goal. Yep. And so that, that really made a big difference, you know, from those rides, you can really trace how people have met, how people have understood each other's work, how people have seen um, the ability to impact things in a different way. So, you know, a person's profile is different. You know, you can have someone who works in urban planning who has five Facebook friends and, you know, the the people that he might ride or he or she might ride with on on like the yearly ride and that's it. Like their profile is incredibly small. But you can have somebody who's Lance freaking Armstrong, who's like the most visible cyclist for a lot of people. And if those two people don't think that they're doing the same thing, then we're all going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be behind the eight ball because of that. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to make sure that every cat one out there who like will blow every stop sign and stoplight, it's like you're actually making the job of that urban planner or engineer or you know, any person involved in politics, you're going to, you're making that person's job a lot harder because when you ask for certain things, you ask for, uh, ask for a bike path or some kind of infrastructure. The first thing people say is, Oh, bike riders lie, ride like assholes. Like sure. forget it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is going to be an ongoing problem and we as much fun and we got as much fun as we had today and as many, you know, it's, there are two tones of horns that you hear. There's the beep beep, like high-fiving. I'm here. 
and the laying on the horn and the middle finger that comes out, you know, those are, those are less supportive. Yeah. We got both of those today and you realize, you know, it, it is going to be an ongoing battle and we all realize that everybody who rides a bike realizes. But how, at least how it's a conversation it that's out there. Sure. And being that we're both New Englanders, I think we can, even though I have been gone for a little while, please welcome, welcome me back, back in the gang. Thank you. Um, we have a great appreciation for the terrible cycling city that Boston once was. And you can see the infrastructure that has come in, in a city like Boston and in mayor Menino and Chicago and Chicago and these yeah. exactly like San Francisco, LA is still behind. Sure. Atlanta is still behind. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an ongoing battle. I mean, we rode through, um, team towns today. That's the advantage of riding through New England. Shoot, we hit three states in fifty minutes, and there are as many people who are stoked as there are as people who are upset as there are towns that are stoked as there are towns that are upset. Like we, one of the first towns we rode through in New Hampshire is Rye, New Hampshire, and there's a mandatory one abreast law in that town, and that's yeah. terrible. Like it's a beautiful town with beautiful in, uh, uh, roads and shoulders and. But still, if you ride too abreast, they're going to pull you over, and you're like, yeah. "Come on, how?" So, do you need so to be? think about how how people appreciate or look at whether or not a bike belongs or could ride on a road, and something like that could have been a group ride from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, where they pissed off the wrong person, and that person then took it as a mission to make sure that bikes never rode as a group sure. ever. Which I think you and I both lead a lot of bike rides these days with a huge spectrum of abilities and interests. Experience. And one thing I think that every cyclist needs to, to know is, um, we are not surrounded by bubble wrap on the road. So we need to create a good image towards the motorist so that they don't come away flicking you off and, and leaning on the horn and then reporting it to the, the local officials. Well, so like, I look at it like who's going to be riding down this road tomorrow. Or yep. the day after that, or a year from now, because if I piss off this particular driver, are they going to take it out on someone else? Yep. And so it's always about the person who's not with you on the ride, and, and is these, that person ever going to? Uh, is that person ever going to take it out on someone else? Right. So these messages are: don't ever get near the yellow line. Point things out. Don't yell. Ride never more than two abreast. Like appreciate the moments you're allowed to ride two abreast and then, then recognize the moments you need to ride single file to let the parade of cars behind you by. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's so much There's more complicated than that, but yes, the, uh, the idea that, that you can go on a group ride and go as fast as you want is awesome. And that is exactly why I loved road racing when I got involved, um, you know, riding with my club and riding with, riding on a group ride was a blast and I, and I would do that forever, but it also burns a lot of people against bike riding, you know, anywhere that has a Tuesday night ride or a Thursday night ride, whatever, they eventually hate getting caught behind you and will make it a real problem to, to be back there. And they, they really, they really, really hate it. hundred percent. But so it's not just about those group rides, but that's how we look at it from, from road cycling. But I think advocacy in general the more people who are aware of how much trouble and how much work goes into putting bike infrastructure in, the better. Um, the realization that it takes a long time to get it done, the realization that it takes your voice to help it get done as a constituent in the area that's trying to implement uh, 
you know, the funding or the planning or whatever. So bike advocates have a very lonely job. So <laughs> if you are <laughs> Truth. bro racer or girl racer and you ride five days a week, really please try and understand how much work goes into it and try and lend a hand, even if it's just being aware of what they do. Um, being involved in advocacy has been really one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done with cycling That's far huge. more than, than trying to win a race or like pull on a Jersey. And I will definitely stay a part of it for a long time. You know, my, my new position at USA cycling is like, I wanted more, to get into that. Perfect. It's, it is trying to be holistic in the idea that as a cyclist, you are a person on a bike and not just a bike racer. Right. And I think the entire spectrum of cycling uh, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say the entire racing side of cycling is beginning to appreciate that in that we're not all chasing the local crit. We're not all chasing the local stage race. We don't, we don't peak our fitness at so-and-so time of year. We are the gravel side, the mass start events. These things are being ingratiated to... I think more and more cyclists so that you don't need to like come into so-and-so crit peaked. You're going to so-and-so event because you want to support it because you want to be there. You want to be there with your bros. You want to be there with your fast bros. And you want to be there with your cousin, Jimmy, who just picked up road racing, uh, bike riding two weeks ago. And he happens to have a gravel bike, which is kind of dope. Um, Tim, we're going to wrap up shortly. <laughs> we could still go in about, but we need four days need of to conversation. Go eat some food. Well, we do need to go eat some food. You got a new job. Yeah. Tell me about your new job. Well, I have a real job, and that's as scary to me as it is to you. I'm uh, terrified. Yeah. Quite frankly, but go on. But um, but I'm excited about it. So I actually work with the USA Cycling Development Foundation mm -hmm. as director of development. Um, I'm not trying to make the best uh, athlete out there, but I'm trying to get them the funding that they need to be the best. Mm -hmm. So my experience with USA Cycling over the last 20 years has been pretty varied. Um, and the reason why I took this position was because I was really intrigued and interested and believe in what Derek Bouchard Hall is doing at USA Cycling. Absolutely. Um, it means a lot for me to hear that he's at the helm of trying to make USA Cycling um, be relevant in cycling throughout all the different disciplines. Um, you know, with racing, obviously as a major part of that and a, and a focus of providing, you know, future Olympians and world champions and national champions and all these different levels of racing side of things. But they also work with mountain biking and cyclocross and track and BMX. And like, there's a lot of different things that make up riding bikes. But the exciting part was that they are uh, are really looking at people's experience in cycling as a, as a whole thing and not just like one portion of one thing or you are a road racer exclusively or a mountain bike racer exclusively, but you are just a, a bike rider. And I think that was really a big key for me. And I think I... I... <sighs> I don't want to brag, Tim, but I did a criterium the other day. <laughs> I did my hometown I, Exeter criterium, Exeter classic. And there was a, uh, there was a point in my life that I knew that I was going to swear off criteriums for forever because that represents a previous fast of my life. Lo and behold, I got back from Portugal and my hometown crit was going on. And I love that Ryan Kelly has gotten behind it. A very good friend of mine. He's, he's supporting this local downtown race. And I think you can get, 
that's where we're going to find our local talent, our next Olympian and our, and the real champions on the racing side from USA cycling. And this is where I also bring up the, the mass numbers in the gravel events and these things that USA cycling is also getting behind because, because cycling is so much bigger than putting a number on your back and racing to the line. And so, I mean, this, this encompasses all sides of cycling. It's the person who is going commuting. It's the family. It's the, you know, family going out for a gravel ride. It's the, it's the dude who's trying to hit it in their local crit. So word hats off to you. <laughs> I mean, I fell into my first bike race. Like I, I, I didn't know what bike racing was. I didn't know that it existed. And I think that that's still the case for a lot of people. So the more, the more of those events out there, the better. And it doesn't matter if it's a road, road race or mountain bike race or whatever, as long as you're out there riding a bike, that's all that really matters. Man. And yeah, there was a funny side of me that really had sworn off crits because I thought they represented, you know, you're going to do your local, uh, industrial park crit. We're going to do a crit basically in the, the area that we have behind us right now, <laughs> which is frankly kind of boring and crummy. And that was my first road race. I did Wells Ave as my first road race, I, I which is a, the fool. literally an industrial park crit in the outskirts of Boston. And then the opposite spectrum of that is something like New England Crit Week right now. Downtown Exeter on a Tuesday night, you have an amazing race. Downtown Beverly on a Thursday night, you have an amazing race. And then we have weekend races on either end to, 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 to sandwich the New England Crit Week. It's amazing. You see these kids, you see families, you see people who are literally walking through downtown because they want to go, you know, grab a bite with their family and they're stumbling on a bike race. And yeah. imagine being that age and you see these kids, uh, these folks of all ages racing around in cool colors. If you're a five-year-old kid, you're like, I want to get into that. And I had an entirely new appreciation and love for bike racing, especially on the crit side. I was terrified the entire time. I'm like, why am I risking life <laughs> and limb? And who are these silly 18-year-olds who are chopping me in the corner? <sighs> I think we're going to abruptly end the conversation. <laughs> Tim, are you hungry? I'm, I'm feeling really hungry, actually. I smell pizza from somewhere, and I, I haven't eaten in many hours. Well, I don't know if you know this, but we've been recording this entire conversation. <laughs> so, shit. I appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Let's awesome. do it again sometime. We have no shortage of things to talk about. Exactly. All right. Peace. Peace.